Hello and welcome to the First Rule of Film Club. I'm Hannah. I'm Eddie. And I'm Alex. And each week we come together to watch a film, have a chat about it and play a game. But this week we're doing a very special episode on the 2021 Oscars. The Oscars. How exciting. What did you guys think? Well, I'm not going to lie. If we weren't doing this podcast, I probably wouldn't have watched any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I probably would have seen maybe one. Actually, to be fair, you guys were the only ones who watched any of them. You guys watched Trial of Chicago 7, which I didn't even bother to watch. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was like the run-up before the Oscars this week. I bashed out a couple of them, but otherwise I would not have been bothered. Mm. Yeah, I, apparently it was really awkward and uh, not very well done this year. The actual ceremony was just kind of like... It, was, it, it really reminded me of like the Hunger Games... You know in that when it's like they go on those kind of weird TV shows and everyone's wearing like big fiery like bird-like dresses and they've got all this like nice hair and makeup but it, something about it's kind of dystopian. <laughs> yeah, I know That's exactly what the Oscars what was like because they, I don't know, they were, they were just saying words that meant nothing and like saying, oh, you know, we've all done a great job this year but it just felt more than ever just really kind of fake and, and just yeah. kind of creepy. I don't know why. I don't know how to describe it. Oh, sorry. I saw the acceptance speech for um, the Promising Young Woman uh, oh yeah, and it was just really awkward like I felt like without an audience there to bounce off of so many people were stood on stage just like blathering <laughs> about yeah. nothing it seemed like yeah it is like I like the Ricky Gervais at the Golden Globes like he gives a speech saying like you know like when you come up and get your award don't start lecturing the public because you don't know anything about real life you know just come up thank your producer thank your god and fuck off <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think that's quite good advice to be fair yeah, like they tried a few new things this year. Like for every nominee, they would kind of do this little voiceover on their like origin story, where it'd be like, "Oh, Alan Smith nominated for best screenplay. He first got into screenplays when he went to the cinema with his dad when he was ten. He remembers." I swear they always do that. Him. Maybe they do, but this this year it really stood out. Cause it yeah, was like, no, I know what you was, mean. It was so dull because it was the same story every year. It was like Alan Smith. He went to the cinema at the age of ten. And he was just blown away by it. And Steve. Premel, oh, he went to the cinema at the age of seven with his mum and he absolutely loved it and he knew he'd want to work in film. Oh, and Jeff, Jennifer Smith, oh, she went to the cinema at the age of six. And it's the same thing. They all went to the yeah. cinema and thought, oh, I like, I like films, I want to work in that industry. None of them were like, he had a midlife crisis and then he decided yeah. that he was going to throw his life away and make shitty films. Yeah. <laughs> That's why anything based in an office usually yeah. is shit. None of them were bitten by like a radioactive film reel or anything. Like None of them had a good origin story. <laughs> I wonder if they asked them to write their own though, because if that's the case, maybe yeah. that's why they got such similar ones out. Because they maybe yeah, they, they, they didn't realise it was all going to be the same thing. Yeah, yeah. And half the time they were filming the wrong people as well, so like they'd be you know talking about one person, but the camera would be on the wrong person. They'd just be kind of smiling like awkwardly, <laughs> trying to say like, you know, I'm having a good time, but that's not it's not me that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, it was just altogether. It felt like um, not very well produced, which is weird given yeah. how much money's in the Oscars, isn't it? Yeah, mm. it felt a bit shoddy. I guess it must have been really hard for them to plan because it was changing all the time, what was allowed and what wasn't. So it's mm. a bit tricky to make something that feels super slick and well-oiled. Yeah. I think the set was quite good. Like, they, they filmed it in, like, this train station and it had kind of multiple layers. So even though there were, you know, maybe, like, 100 people there max, it looked quite full because they were all on different layers, whereas if it had just been, like, a big room, it would have looked kind of weird. 
Mm. The set was good. Unfortunately, I think everything else was awful. <laughs> but, um, I yeah. quite liked the glamour of everyone's outfits. Yeah, I think that was nice. I think it was, it was definitely that thing, you know, when you haven't been outside in a while and you kind of forget how to interact with a human. <laughs> like I, feel like, I feel like the human race is kind of going through that a bit at the moment. Mm. So a lot of the interviews were quite awkward and a bit weird and stuff. Yeah. But no, I like looking through the best dress thing. Obviously, always the women best dressed is much more interesting than the men's because the men's is just like, oh, and this person wore a suit and yeah. Brad Pitt wore a suit and they look mm. good in suits. Yeah. And the women's one is more like, you know, creative at least. Mm. But I didn't really feel yeah. like any of the outfits blew my mind. To be fair, Viola Davis's outfit blew that my mind That was a great a dress. It was like this great white dress which kind of looked like, uh, you know, at Christmas when you make paper snowflakes where you cut out little notches in paper and then you unfold it and it's all beautiful it was like that but obviously way nicer mm. than your average paper snowflake mm. <laughs> just looked, looked awesome i couldn't have made it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i only do the average ones yeah to be fair we were watching the e coverage and uh, their like fashion panel had this one guy on it who was so good at saying nothing by saying a lot. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, this person, he's wearing a jacket and he's got those buttons and we love buttons. Buttons are so useful buttons for every really kind of Buttons are really in this coat. year. Okay, buttons weren't in last year, but this year they're really in. I like to see so What does that spring. mean, buttons are in this <laughs> yeah. year? Like, people need to fasten stuff yeah, so buttons know. can stay. <laughs> no, but you know, like sometimes zips are in and sometimes zips are out, you know, and this is yeah. clearly zips are out this year. Is Velcro ever in? <laughs> Next year. Mm, maybe. I think toggles are the thing at the moment. Toggles are coming mm. in. <laughs> I, haven't really, I can't really... Uh, I haven't got a leg to stand on when it comes to like fashion. I, I can't really slag anyone else for not knowing anything about fashion, to be fair. The year Paddington 3 comes out, that's toggles year. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, the looks were quite good. I did enjoy kind of seeing glamour again. You know, like yeah. having an event that was going on, that a news item that wasn't super depressing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was nice. Okay, okay. So it's more important that the awards are good. So what happened in the awards? Let's start with Best Picture. Mm -hmm. So we had a little predictions beforehand we had who we wanted to win because we hadn't seen all the films because some of them haven't come out yet in the UK. And then we had who we predicted would win. Mm -hmm. So we all wanted Promising Young Woman to win. Yeah. yeah. But we predicted different things. So Eddie predicted The Father, Alex predicted Promising Young Woman, and I predicted Nomadland. Oh, and I got it right. I got the point. <laughs> Nomadland won the Oscar. Yeah, should we say to the audience, so the films that we none of us had seen were Nomadland, Judas and the Black Messiah, and The Father. Uh, those are the films that none of us had seen. Oh, wow. We did really badly on that list. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, the, just the main ones, basically, that we missed. But uh, fair play. You went for Nomadland. I just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought The Father might slip in and steal it. Wow, yeah. Based on no evidence at all. Yeah. <laughs> I just chose Nomadland because it had already won a bunch of a bunch of awards, so I felt like it was a fairly safe bet. But mm. Promising Young Woman was a great film. I was a bit sad that that didn't kind of have a surprise win. Yeah, I think it's still. I think maybe it wasn't really looked at because it was a little bit controversial still for like the Oscars, and it won Best Screenplay, and I think rightly so because it was incredibly well written and I, and it was really well directed, but. I think Nomadland, the Oscars really like 
when people go the extra mile. And with Nomadland, Chloe Zhao, the director, like she lived as a nomad, you know, and she ingratiated herself into that culture for months. And you know, did she really? Yeah, they they did all that kind of spiel. Mm. And I think the Oscars love that. It's like uh, DiCaprio winning his Oscar for The Revenant, you know, when he actually, like, you know, lived in the wilderness and did all and that stuff. When he stuff. actually ate the fish. Yeah, <laughs> when he actually got beaten up by a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Not easy, is it, to, to win an Oscar? I'm looking forward to... No Man Land came out today in the UK, so I'm looking forward to watching it this evening. Oh, shit. I've heard a lot of good things about it. I didn't realise we could watch it now. Mm, it's on Disney Plus now. Oh. Yeah, that was another thing I thought was a bit unfair, was there was some criticism directed at Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland, for not making hmm. a more political speech when she won her best director. And yeah. like but why? Like <laughs> why does she have to make a political speech? Yeah, it's like I was saying to you, like it's not the Oscars isn't really a time and place to preach. Like, okay, you can, but you you're not obligated to preach about anything. At the end of the day, she's worked her whole life to become a director, to, you know, create a great film, to, you know, to do all that she's put in all this work. She's won a great award. This is about her. It's you know, it's not about trying to solve the world's problems right now. It's it's you know. Yeah, but I guess when you're on the stage of the Oscars, there's so many people watching you that whatever you do is going to draw criticism. That's just like natural when yeah. millions of people watch you do something. Yeah, you can't win because if you drone on about you know climate change or whatever, people will have a go at you saying, "Why are you going on about this?" If you don't, then people say, "Oh, why aren't you being political? Do you not care about the world?" It's you can't really win. It's mm. just kind of an awkward thing. To have to go up and, and give a speech about your award. Surely not that many people complained about her not making a political speech. I mean, <laughs> let's be real. It sounds like a very fringe set of people. <laughs> mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we're on kind of best director. So Chloe Zhao won. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of our predictions, I think me and Eddie, we predicted Chloe Zhao and Alex, you went a bit rogue and predicted Thomas Vinterberg for another round. Yeah. But you, you're actually half right, though, because that one, he won the Oscar for um, Best Foreign Film. Yeah, I know. Mm. That was a bit of a given, though. I think um, that was kind of like the only good choice in the foreign film category this year. Yeah. What is another round about? It's about alcoholics. Yeah. Very succinct synopsis. It doesn't sound very <laughs> cheery when I say it like that, but apparently it's really, really good. From what I've heard, I think it was about four friends and they decide to uh, be drunk, like, perpetually. So they're just going to keep drinking all the time so that they're always drunk and see if that improves their life. And then they all just kind of... I think they all just kind of have a bit of mental time. It's quite uh, surrealist. Yeah. The, uh, the director, he gave quite an impassioned speech, actually. His was quite sad because I think his daughter was killed like a couple of weeks before he started filming in like a car accident and so I think they had to halt production for a while and then he went you know but it was kind of you know he'd shown her the script before she died and she said she'd loved it Mm. he devoted like the whole film to her and so he gave quite a kind of passionate speech about that but it it seemed really sad that's amazing tough thing to have to but it's it's, uh, yeah I suppose it's good he managed to finish the project and, and in a way you know she got to see it before it even you know finished, and she got to see you know that piece of work. Yeah, it wasn't so, political enough that speech. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> talk about climate change for God's sake. Okay, so yeah. none of us got that right, or am I? No, me and Eddie got that right. Oh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Only you. I got think it wrong. you should get half a point though, because you got the uh, the best um, best foreign language. The thing film. is, though, Alex, you've got more integrity because you uh, put weird answers. 
Yeah, yeah, it sure feels good to be integral. <laughs> I was really pleased that Mank didn't win, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really think Mank was too good. The thing is, I should have bloody loved Mank because <laughs> I like Orson Welles and I did my dissertation at school, um, at university on him. So I should have been there, like, loving Mank and the behind the scenes of Citizen Kane, but... It was just a bit long. Yeah, I thought they might give him Best Director just because it might be one of those situations where Manx's not very good, but they feel like David Fincher deserves an award because I don't think he's won an Oscar yet. But then at the same time, it's a Netflix one, so maybe they also didn't want to give too much to the streaming services. I suppose, yeah. Right. Best Actress? We all went for Frances McDormand. And she won. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. I haven't even seen this performance. This is the real nightmare about like how these movies, some of them we haven't seen, and Nomadland, mm. which is really successful, is one of them. Mm. And I just feel so disconnected from a lot of these awards because I don't care about Nomadland. I haven't seen it. <laughs> but I think that's how good her performance was, that it almost transcended watching it. Like, you don't even need to watch it to, to appreciate how good that performance was. No, fair enough. You know, that, that takes skill. Alice has a good point that it's you do feel quite detached from it all because not only are they films that most people haven't even watched because cinemas haven't been opened, it's like half of them haven't even come out. Yeah. It's just been a weird, weird year because anything that wasn't on a streaming service, you've got to wait until cinemas reopen, like The Father. So there's just no way of seeing it, unless you're like a critic. There's just no way of seeing it, which is kind of a shame. Yeah. I feel like last year with Parasite and 1917 and... You know, little women, like all these big films that everyone had seen and everyone was really excited to see who would win. I think it's just been difficult this year because there haven't really been any big blockbusters. The blockbusters that have come out, like Tenet and Kong versus uh, Godzilla, aren't really Oscar worthy. So it's just it's just like the most indie indie films this year that are getting awards. And I know it's not their fault. Like obviously it's distribution's fault, but it's kind mm. of like they're shooting themselves in the foot by having so many movies that are not like generally accessible i just don't get mm. it like i think it's a real mistake to do that because in in a lot of these cases i would be much more interested in the awards themselves uh and you know and the films if they were just out and i could watch them because <laughs> mm. i might forget to watch the father like i would watch the father if i could watch it right now but I, i'm not so interested that i would watch it in a month's time yeah. Especially because everyone's at home with nothing to do. You'd think this is the perfect time to bring out a slightly indie film that no one would normally have at the top of their priority list to watch. Yeah. It's just weird because, I mean, the, the Oscars this year are like the lowest viewing figures ever. More people watch Line of Duty. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's part of the reason. Yeah, like you guys say, it's just half of people haven't even seen the film, so they just don't care. And to be honest, I wouldn't have watched any of these films if... We weren't doing this episode on yeah. it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. But it's true, because a lot of them as well, like Minari, we had to pay £16 to watch that mm. on Amazon Prime. That's mm. quite a lot of money to take a punt on a film that you've but never heard of. At least of. that was available, though, at yeah. the end of the day. Like, I'd rather it was available. The problem with Nomadland, The Father and stuff is just you just can't watch it. Yeah. Okay, next category... Best actor. Mm. Well, I mean, this was like the controversial one, <laughs> yeah. right? So we all thought slightly different things, actually. Me and Eddie predicted Chadwick Boseman, and Alex, you predicted Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. Mm. 
and Anthony Hopkins one. Yeah. Which I think was also a bit of a surprise to the Academy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone called that. Yeah, so they did that thing, didn't they, where it was the last the last award they gave out. And so yeah. everyone thought it was going to be a nice Chadwick Boseman tribute, and then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, it just fade to black. And Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there, so they couldn't just give him the award. They had to like be like, oh, well, that's the end of the awards, and, you know, Anthony Hopkins isn't here, so bye. <laughs> it was so awkward. It was like... Because also, apparently, Anthony Hopkins had, had said, look, I'll stay up and do a Zoom call if you want, but they said, no, no Zoom calls allowed. You have to be in one of our designated Oscar like hubs, either in London or... Uh, Los Angeles or Paris, or whatever. So it was just like, well, I'm just going to go to sleep then. I'm not doing that. Well, to be fair, I'm an, 80, I'm an 83 year old man. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going. <laughs> yeah, imagine uh, how he feels. Like he probably woke up in the morning, like, oh, I've got an Oscar. What the, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not bad for a night's work. Apparently, he's the oldest man to ever win an Oscar. Yeah, I mean, 80, 83, I think he is, which is insane. Mm. I was a bit disappointed in this category that Riz Ahmed didn't win. I thought um, mm. for sure that he would be their, their choice just because of the wokeness that the Academy is after. And also his performance was really good. Yeah, and he yeah. put in a lot of work as well. Like He learnt sign language for the role, he learnt to drum for the role. So he was in Sound of Metal, which is a film about um, a man who loses his hearing, uh, but he's a drummer in a band, and him sort of coming to terms with that loss of his sense of hearing. Mm-hmm. Although to be fair, he says he spent six months learning to drum for the role. Like he only he only drums in like one scene. You can't even hear it. So it's like I don't know why he took him six months to learn how to do. That. <laughs> oh no, enough. but he does drum quite well in that scene. And also, he that a lot was made of the fact that he that he's the first Muslim to be nominated for yeah. an Oscar. I saw a couple of tweets where, you know, well, I mean, there's been a lot of anger and lashing out at Anthony Hopkins, saying like he shouldn't have won. <laughs> a lot of people saying. Oh, just when I thought the Oscars was getting woke, they give the best actor to an old white guy. Which is like... I, I don't really understand this argument. It's like, because if you just give an award to someone just because they're black or, or they're Muslim, then that just feels, you know, just empty. It feels pointless. Insincere. Yeah, exactly. If you just say, you know, you won, you know, you weren't actually the best this year, but, you know, you're, you're black, so you can win. So I think it's, it's hard. You can't please everyone because... You know, the ideal is it's a meritocracy. Whoever's the best that year wins, regardless of anything. Mm. But then it kind of means that, you know, if someone who isn't a minority wins, there's a bit of anger. Or if they do win, people think, oh, they only won it because of this. So it is hard. It's hard to, mm. to judge. And it's hard to know what the people who voted, what their reasons were. I guess the thing is, by the time you get into the Best Actor nomination, all the performances are good. It's just when it comes to predictions, you think, oh they'll want to do their PR in a certain way, so it feels more likely that they might get the first ever nominated Muslim to win or they might uh, manoeuvre it so that Chadwick mm. Boseman can win. And it's cynical and it's wrong because then also it, it denigrates those people's performances. Mm. But I suppose you're right that it's like, I, I don't think you could objectively choose a best actor in a leading role out of the best actors in the leading roles of the year because at that point it's a bit subjective. So I do mm. kind of agree with people that it's like when you give Anthony Hopkins the Oscar in this case, it's a bit like, obviously, they were all really good, but we have got a little bit of an unconscious bias which has made us choose this candidate. So maybe mm. there is something there. I mean, obviously, this mm. is a completely half-baked thought um, that should be taken with a grain of salt, but I, I don't think it is a good look for the Academy. No. It was just, it was just bad. 
Actually, speaking of tribute as well, like there's this really awkward in memoriam bit as well. Again, another bit that was just ill conceived where they did this little PowerPoint slideshow of like all the actors who who died this year. But um they played this really like cheerful music over the top of it, which was just weird to begin with. <laughs> and it was like that people who were quite famous, it would kind of hover on them, their face and their name for like a couple of seconds. But people who weren't that famous, like cameramen, it kind of flicked through them like really quick, oh. which which just felt so kind of like... And, you know, I know that that usually happens, but it was really obvious it would be like, you know, uh, Ian Holm, whatever, you know, died, or, you know, five, ten seconds. And then like all this random cameraman who no one really knows, click, 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 all next big name. You'd feel upset if you were the family of... You know, <laughs> yeah. Someone who just got like maybe like half a second's worth of that memorial. That is a really, really bad move, isn't it? They they just mm. had so many bum ideas this year. <laughs> yeah. Half a second of memoriam on the lowest ever watched Oscars. Yeah. That oh, is man. rubbish. It's As legacies go. Yeah. I mean, it's better than nothing, I guess, but still. Mm. What else did we predict? Um, the last one we predicted was Best Original Screenplay. Ah. So for this... All three of us predicted Promising Young Woman would win, and it did. Yeah. Oh, yes. That, is, that was a scorching screenplay as well, though. Mm. I think that deserved to win. It was really, really good. I mean, so Promising Young Woman, if you haven't seen it, is basically a film about this woman who drops out of medical school because her best friend is sexually assaulted and then kind of tries to teach random guys in bars who lech on her a lesson by... It's a bit ambiguous whether she hurts them or not, but basically by calling them out on it. Um, but then as time goes on, she starts to reap revenge on the people who hurt her friend. Mm. And the film sounds like it should be a bit of a downer because that's what you're used to seeing, films about rape being quite like grayscale and stuff like that. But this film is very poppy, bright colours, very engaging. It's not at all what you would expect. Mm. But yeah. it's great. We all liked it's it. Yeah, it was great. It was fiery. It wasn't kind of like... Yeah, like you say, it wasn't a depressing film. I think a lot of films that go for the Oscars, they kind of go for that sort of depressing, bleak angle, saying, like, oh, look how deep we are. We're, we're dealing with a, a, a tough topic and we're going to have really slow shots and it's all going to be grayscale. But this was like... It was just punchy. It was just, you know... And it, it made you kind of think about a lot of things in a different way. Mm. Emerald Fennell, the director and writer, she said that, she in her life has dealt with the most serious things that have happened to her with a sense of humour. Mm-hmm. And if you think about when you've had a tough time, that's the way that you get through it. Yeah. So she was saying she wanted to make a film about a serious issue that meant a lot to her, but in a way that's more similar to how people actually deal with these issues in real life. Mm. Mm. I mean, when I look down the list of the best original screenplay, it's like a bit no contest. Like... I can't think of anything else where, like, it, it's very, like, it feels like an instant classic, the way it's written, because mm. I'm sure if I was uh, an English scholar, I could pick out many, uh, you know, tragedian elements pulled from all of these classics. You know, it feels like a story that's been crafted by um, centuries rather than years kind of thing, because I think a lot of mm. things try new things and they're great but they feel a little bit untested untried whereas I think Promising Young Woman is like a really strong twist on what feels like absolutely rock solid ideas so Mm. it just like as a screenplay it was just like bulletproof I loved it 
Mm. Pulls you in a lot of different directions as well. Like you don't know whether you should be rooting for the main character or not. You know, you jump back and forth a lot of times on her. You don't know how it's going to end, how it's going to end up. Again, you know, you bounce back and forth, thinking, oh, okay, it's going to end this way. Oh, God, okay, it's ended that way. Oh, God, okay, okay. Has she won? Has she lost? Did, did she manage to do it? Like, and it was just, it was just surprising. Especially nowadays, I think it's quite hard to be surprised by a film because once you've seen X amount of films, you can just kind of predict wh where everything's going. But this one really genuinely did surprise me in a lot of places. I think that's part of the strong writing because Emerald Fennel said again in the same interview about how she wanted to take those expectations you have if you're someone who watches a lot of films and these stereotyped characters like um, the girl you want to be best friends with or the dorky, cute guy mm. and then flip them on their heads so that you're, you think you know what, exactly what's going to happen but then that's almost what she's leveraging to surprise you because mm. she's saying, oh, you think you know everything well, you don't and then just <laughs> <laughs> turns it completely around on you. Mm. So shall we um, move on to ratings? Shall we rate the Oscars? <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, I, okay, I'll start, right? So I think the Oscars, maybe, I don't know what number this is in the series, but <laughs> it feels like it's been going on for a while, and I would have to rank this as one of the worst Oscars, <laughs> because <laughs> it's just a little bit, like, uh, slapped together. I definitely sympathise with the fact that we're in a pandemic, so it's not easy to, to put on a slick show like that. Um, so I'll give them a little bit of leeway, but I think it's probably going to be a 6 out of 10 for me. I didn't watch the actual ceremony, to be fair. I watched the beginning when they were all arriving in the dresses, and I would definitely say, not enough sparkly dresses. <laughs> that was their big issue. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think in terms of the awards themselves, it was an interesting year because, as we said... Lots of people hadn't even seen the films that were nominated and lots of them weren't even available to watch. So that makes it tricky. And then in some ways it was a groundbreaking year with Chloe Zhao winning, but then in other ways it was kind of overshadowed by the whole Chadwick Boseman slip-up. So six is probably about right. Like, I don't know, there's just nothing really to it. It's not one that people will remember favourably, mm. I don't think, even though it was a historic year. Yeah, that's true. I think they just didn't have any fun. I think it was just such like a kind of serious, solemn ceremony. <laughs> like compare that to to when you watch like the Golden Globes and Ricky Gervais is just you know rinsing the room and you know it's just kind of brutal. Like that's that's what gets views. You know, people don't want to just see like a. Otherwise, like I just watch a you know a Zoom call of like the awards for like the best lawyers in the UK or the best like accountants. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's a reason why people watch this award ceremony because why why would you watch a random award cer ceremony of a business you're not even in because <laughs> you, you expect it to be entertaining and it just wasn't you know I think that's the, that's just the long and short of it really mm. um, yeah so I'd, I'd give it like four or five out of ten brutal I mean I, I think I'm just bitter because I, I stayed up for like four or five hours watching this yeah I at least didn't commit all of that time to it I watched the retrospective the thing that you watch when you wake up the next morning and yeah. decide that you need to catch up on what's happened in the Oscars. Mm -hmm. But there's no way in hell I would have stayed up and watched that whole thing. And I would have been super disappointed if I had. <laughs> it was a long battle. And it was not worth it. <laughs> so there you go, viewers. Don't waste your time on the Oscars this year. <laughs> don't re-watch yeah. re the five hours of footage. Listen to this instead. Yeah. You've basically got all you need to yeah. know. Yeah. So what are we watching next week? 
Next week we are watching the behemoth that is Kong versus Godzilla. Kong versus Thickzilla. Yeah. Yeah. Thickzilla. <laughs> cool. So join us next week to see which monster will fight for supremacy and win. Mm. And I'm not just talking about me and Alex in the quiz. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> or don't even bother watching it and just tune in anyway because it does cost like £15 to rent. And basically you know what's going to happen. We will give you the dates on who wins yeah. if you want to We'll know. give you the rundown. Yeah. Very simply. <laughs> you can either rent Godzilla versus Kong for £15 or you can listen to this podcast for free. And I will describe each of the fights shot for shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do the sound effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody bows to Kong. <laughs> Coming soon. <laughs> um, so yeah. So if people want to get in touch with us to let us know their thoughts, how can they do that? They can email us at filmclubrules at gmail or you can find us on Instagram at Film Club Rules, where there's regular quizzes and lots of great content. Mm. And I'd also like to say thank you to our friend Sarah Murray, who mentioned us on her blog, The Leftovers. Mm. So check that out at sarahmurray.co.uk because she also had lots of other interesting. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. Thank Your you, check Sarah. Is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we'll see you next week for Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> <laughs> My God. <laughs> <laughs>